everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 208. You want the truth? Recorded October 4th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the command line godfather, Neves, and Seth, the gooey kid, Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Mark, and everyone out there in internet land. I hope you had a great week. We're here again, just because you want us. Hello, world. I'm proud to say I loved The Martian. Ah, yes, as did I. Uh, But before we go too much farther, we need to bring in, uh, mention the fact that we do have um, an ethereal, uh, disembodied uh, fourth voice on the uh, the podcast tonight, and that is Jonathan Mitchell of The Truth Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? Jonathan, that is the most Anglican name ever. Jonathan Mitchell. (laughs) Right down the line there. Yeah. (laughs) It is. um, I'm a mutt. I'm I'm lots of different things. Well, all, all Americans together. are. Yeah, we're the we're yeah. we're the, the mixed breeds of the world. Yeah, the melting pot, so to speak. So, so J- Jonathan, are you familiar with the movie The Martian or the book? Um, I I my I know my wife has read the book, uh, and she tells me it's quite good. And uh, every she's very excited about seeing the movie, and I would like to see the movie, but I haven't seen it. So that's all I know. Is it's supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. So we. Uh, it's it's in my the book is in my top five ever list of books. I really enjoyed it. It's one of the the few books I uh, literally a handful five six books that I've ever read multiple times and enjoyed it. Typically, once I read a book, I'm done with it. Uh, this one I've read it twice in the last year, um, and I went and saw the movie uh, yesterday. Seth, you saw it opening night. We'll start with your reactions to it. Okay, well I gotta say I paid for the 3D. And I am so glad I did. Um, the shots of like the Martian landscape that they, they just look so gorgeous. And it, so visually it was very stunning and they didn't like try to do a bunch of 3D action. It was just kind of the effects that made it really cool. And I wish the movie would have been a little bit longer, but no spoilers here, but the book deals primarily with Mark Watney, the astronaut stranded on Mars. The movie still is a lot about him, but they bring more of uh, NASA and the crew in to give it, you know, so that way it's not just the castaway in space. But, uh, and so it was different enough that um, it was really enjoyable. Most of the time, if I love the book, I hate the movie. Movie's not quite as strong as the book, but few things could be. I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad I went. Cool. They did a great job. Ridley Scott can keep directing movies in Hollywood. <laughs> so <laughs> you, he has your permission. That's awesome. So my wife yes. and I went to see it last night. Um, just sort of a, a my my youngest daughter. We had her birthday party. Uh, and so we had a grandma in the house and so free babysitting. Yay. So we took the opportunity <laughs> to skip out and, and go see the movie. And um, I felt, of course, the book, I listened to it on, on audible.com, my favorite thing ever, elementopcom slash audible. Um, and uh, it was a 10 hour, 10 and a half hour read. If you're a quick reader, you could probably get through it in six to eight. The movie was long at nearly two and a half hours, but still they had to, they had to hack and chop large chunks of the movies and combine scenes, you know, uh, something that might've taken place over six or eight days in the book took place over 10 minutes in the movie. 
totally makes sense you just have to tell stories differently uh in movies um having read the book a couple of times and really loved it i felt that the movie was a shallow experience but only because i'd had that depth previously my wife who had not seen the movie was utterly entranced and engrossed in the movie cried with the places you're supposed to cry jumped at the places you were supposed to jump she was totally sucked in um and so from you know looking at it through her eyes i can say that the movie stands alone but if you've read the book you have to mentally fill in the blanks because you understand that it's it's kind of like uh looking at a shadow of the thing where you once saw in full color but it's a darn good shadow Very yeah cool. i, I wasn't let down by exactly. the movie and so. I didn't see it in 3D because I don't believe that there's ever been a good 3D movie made yet. Um, so I saw it in 2D, and it was not disappointing in any way. The visuals were stunning. I can see, I, I can certainly see how 3D might have enhanced it. Uh, in my experience, 3D almost never enhances; it only detracts. But Seth says 3D was great, and Seth is almost as big a hater of 3D as I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm more of a cheapskate tightwad than you are, and I didn't mind shelling out the money for it. So I that, mean, that says something you. right there. Yes. Yeah, it does. Uh, so you you paid like the what the twenty three dollar IMAX leather seat and and valet service ticket. Oh no, it it was real three D, so it was seventeen fifty. Still a re- and I went ahead and I did popcorn too. So I spent way more. Oh yeah, way more money than I like to spend, but. I was glad to do it. That movie was worth it. When I take my family of five to the movies uh, and buy popcorn, it's a hundred bucks. Just it's just gone. Hundred dollars in two hours. Um, when I was a kid, uh, used to see a movie for literally a dollar, uh, and not at the dollar movie theater. This you know first run movies when I was a kid cost about a dollar to get in. Maybe you know the the uh, there wasn't. Uh, well, they did have three D. I remember Friday the Thirteenth in three D. Yeah. Um, uh jaws with the color glasses in 3d i saw the yes the the plastic uh cardboard uh one red and one blue lens uh we've come a long way since then but still it gives me a headache every time (laughs) i I just wanted to say that uh i i I think i have an idea amazon if you're listening uh because i know the 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 jeff bezos listens to the show no he doesn't um the i have an idea for you you need to start uh give prime members an option to have direct deposit into your prime account uh because it's really it's just an extra step of effort for me to give you my money by the fact that you don't already have it i I, i'm not kidding guys i have a prime problem um i have been like i had you know like i said there was i had a birthday party just this last weekend had a birthday last week my my oldest is having her all my birthdays are are, are kind of kind of crammed together um in the in the late summer because it's cold in texas in early in in june and uh, january and and february um so prime boxes have been arriving on my doorstep at the rate of five or six a day every day um it's and it's amazing of course i haven't paid a dollar for shipping and and i get things two-day air that i don't need for a month but because why not it's prime but yeah that's my that's my suggestion we just need a prime direct deposit i just tell my employer to send it straight to my amazon prime account and um uh, you know and then that's, that's good i mean they would have to figure out how some way to pay my rent but otherwise i think it's a great idea 
Well, no, you know how you can have part of your paycheck go to your checking and part can go to your savings. Just have part of it go to your prime right. membership. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. So I, uh, <laughs> one of my, my daughter's friends gave her, uh, it was a real gift, but it was a gag in that there was a box inside a box inside a box inside a box, uh, and each box was wrapped, and all of the boxes were Amazon Prime boxes. Uh, and that is uh, funny. Her dad's a, a computer geek like I am, and I turned to him and said, we are kindred spirits. I said, uh, instead of making him take a here, I'll put these in the recycling with all of my prime boxes they'll they'll never even make a dent um i have one of those big like 90 gallon things it's stuffed full of boxes you can't close it um wow first world problems yeah i'm with you though i love my prime uh so do you you do a lot of prime streaming right which is kind of getting you in trouble oh yes oh between everything in general i am getting in trouble um so for those that in case you missed the couple last couple of shows i moved to my new house it's great it, it's kind of dark in my new room for right now, uh, but we had to change service providers, and it's a great it's a great service provider. They give me great band bandwidth, but uh, one big problem: they have a data cap. So I'm 15 days into this month, and I've already blown it. Is there the option to extend that, or is it just too cost it's prohibitive? Penalties. Uh. It's penalties now. It's all penalties, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Because <laughs> so the, now, when you get home and the kids are watching Netflix, instead of going, "Hey, what's on?" you go, "No, no." <laughs> well, yeah, there's that, and then the other moments of, man, what do I get myself into? Because uh, I'm in looking at the plans, they don't sell one big enough to cover my cap or my my projected data use in a month. So my projected data use is in the 600 or 600 plus category. Um, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. I'll, I have to make a comment now to find out if I can get a business unlimited plan now. And that's um, all, just, that's all, um, cause you have a caching server. So the, everything that you could, uh, um, uh, optimize you cacheable. have, right. It's yep, all, everything that's cacheable yeah, is cacheable. It's all it's just cache, video, everything. right? Pretty much yeah, video and audio. Yep. So Amazon, Man. Amazon, Hulu, uh, Netflix, uh, and then um, Sunday ticket through the PlayStation wow. Four. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I yeah, I mean, a, a, an HD four-hour video uh, football game is. I mean, yeah, I, I totally get that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm adding at the, you know, in a couple of weeks, adding my oldest daughter to our phone line. She's 13. She's getting a phone. She's super excited about it. I called AT and T and tripled my data. Uh, allotment and i'm pretty sure it's not going to be enough but just preparing for it uh i went from five gigs that my wife and i used to share and never went over to 15 gigs and i'm not sure that's going to cover it it'll be interesting i know my son blew our data cap on the phones the second he got his smartphone like two days into it and we blew our cap so yeah it's a new experience um so maybe i might be going to the poorhouse because of my data usage but uh not if they'll let me have the business unlimited plan. We'll see. Not Take to leave you out, Jonathan. Work. Are you a big uh, uh, video streamer in your house? Uh, yeah, sure. It's the it's the best way to go these days. Are yeah. you a, are you a cord cutter? A cord cutter? You mean um, As in no cable? No cable? Yeah. Uh, like like cable TV? I yes. have cable TV. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is that? Yeah, so um, my house I, doesn't. Just so you know, uh, Jonathan, my house just cut the cord, so all of my kids have rokus in their on their tvs we have rokus on the on everything and so yeah there there's you know anywhere at any given moment 
there is something being streamed to one of the TVs in high definition at any given time of the day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, um, I, you know, I live in New York City and we have Time Warner cable. I mean, this, you can't really do it. We can't like have satellite or anything like that. There's no place to put it, you know? Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, we, it, it's, it's the Time Warner. It's basically the, cable that everyone has to get and it's terrible but you know and you get like five things you want from it and i don't know lately we've um we've been watching a lot of things on netflix lately um we get we get we our tv has wi-fi so we can we can look at online things a lot too we do amazon prime also yeah between prime and netflix and you know throw a little hulu in there if you have to that what else is there um, so is football. is Time Warner Cable in New York the same awesome company it is everywhere else in America? <laughs> I can only assume that it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a big black box. You know, it's right. just a you know, it, <laughs> if you've ever read the you know you've read a uh, Wrinkle in Time, I imagine it being the building in a Wrinkle in Time. You know, <laughs> like it's just oh a, a big God. black box. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah. I I haven't read that one. I'll have to check it out. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, Mark. You're missing. Yeah, I'm I'm not well ver- versed on the classics. Uh, what what people consider the classics, I guess. Well, it was assigned in I think ninth or tenth grade. So yeah, I yeah. I did a book report on Moby Dick and aced it without ever having read the book. Um, because <laughs> there, this was this was pre-internet even, uh, but I just went and talked to people I knew, my grandparents and and my relatives who had read the book or seen movies on it, and compiled all their stories together and wrote an A-level paper. Uh, so that's huh. that's why I'm not well versed on the classics because I'm a good BSer and I never actually had to read anything. Uh-huh. I did that more than once in college yeah. myself. <laughs> hey, uh, Jonathan, have you um, have you seen Daredevil on Netflix yet? Daredevil. Um I don't think I have. What's right. what is Daredevil? It's a it's a Marvel comic book uh, character. It's in the new Marvel uh-huh. universe. You don't have to be a comic book person to like it, um, but check it out. It, I think it's the best Netflix uh, original yet. I really yeah, think. I'll check it out. Yeah, agree. we're always looking it's, for new things to watch. So yeah. there, there's that some violence in it, but it's violence that's integral to the storyline and not just hey, we can do violence on Netflix. So if you're squeamish. That part might be a turn off, but the story and acting and direction and everything is very solid. Yeah. First episode's a little slow. You might not be in love with it. If you get through the second episode and aren't in love, just walk away because it doesn't, it won't get better after that. Second episode is, is so good. Uh, it's not quite, it's not the best. It's not like it's a disappointment, but that sets the tone and you're like, Oh, okay. This is how this is going to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, that's the hook. We've been binging on a show called Naked and Afraid. Oh, Have I you love ever that. Seen that? Yeah, oh, I, yes. I, I'm probably yeah. a bad parent because of this, but I watch it with my kids. They blur out all the good bits, but yeah. it's uh, we watch it huh. and it's it's uh, you know uh, problem solving and and yeah. getting along and and not only uh, you know problem solving and how are we going to get food and water, but problem solving interpersonal. I think there are great lessons there. So I sit down and watch it with my seven year old, uh, yeah. and and we talk about life lessons from it. Yeah, it's a high pressure, high stakes situation. Yeah, and and uh, it, it 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 always goes. It always looks incredibly incredibly difficult and horrible right they take these people who are experts and after a few days they're crying for mommy and you know uh oh you know if these experts <laughs> yeah. are in this trouble yeah 
I've always been one of those guys. I would love to do it, but I just I know I wouldn't pass the the evals that you have to do to do it to do the show. So yeah, that, I would walk in and they'd see a fat forty year old and go, "Bye, don't even talk to me." <laughs> or they'd be they would be all over it because you're a, you would be a catalyst for yeah. problems to happen. Mark has a PSR primitive survival rating of negative three point seven. I never, I never quite understood what the the whole significance of the PSR thing because I, they don't really tell you, explain to you what that means or what what application that would have outside the show or like who cares about a PSR? Like what what difference does a does some marketing director said we need more graphics in the show? Yeah, yeah. I, yep. It just seems like that's like a, such a relative ranking, and they don't explain what it's relative to. You know. Even yeah. if you go back and watch the very first episode, they don't show you anything about it anyway. They just give you a number, no. and it's just arbitrary. So, yeah, I've always thought it was like we think based on our brief interview of them, this is how good they would be in the wild. And then after the show, they go, "Hey, guess what? Our interviews were wrong, and this person we thought was good, <laughs> they would have died on the first day." <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, but yeah, it's just something to talk about and to uh, it's a metric. Right, but it doesn't have much meaning outside of the show. No, of course not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would agree. So let's move on to a little bit of uh, feedback from our listeners. As uh, as I was telling uh, Jonathan before the show uh, got started, the reason he's here is that you, our listeners, uh, I forget which one I could probably search through my emails and find out, uh, recommended this his podcast, The Truth Podcast. He called it The Awesome Truth Podcast, and I thought that was the name of it, The Awesome Truth, but it turns out he, that was a qualifier. It was an adjective. It was awesome, and it's called The Truth. Um, so... We we like to feature listener feedback here, so I'm going to start with uh, a voicemail from a, a perennial um, regular uh, contributor, the door-to-door geek, Mr. Steve McLaughlin. Let's see what he has to say. Hello, uh, Chris. Hello, Seth. Hello, Mark. Door-to-door geek, a.k.a. Steve McLaughlin. Uh, I want to first off publicly on Element OP thank Mark for coming over and uh, picking up the reins on AAA and becoming the host. Uh, Mark. You're the man. I owe you, period. But I wanted to chime in really quick about ads. And oh boy, do ads work. Uh, the example I'm going to use is there's this American product, I'm guessing it's only in America, called Z-Quill. Like you have NyQuill and DayQuill. Well, they now have Z-Quill. Z-Z-Z-Quill. All the medicine does is knock you out to help you sleep. That's all it is. It's just a sleep helper, okay? Uh, I saw it once or twice before, thought nothing of it, whatever, okay, yeah. Uh, and then I got a call from my daycare provider for my two children. At the time, they were like four and eight years old, I'll say, something like that. I don't even know. They're my kids, and I don't even know. And the daycare provider asked me if I was drugging my children. To which I said, what are you talking about? Well, um, Mr. McLaughlin, um, we've had a lot of discussions in our office today, and we were considering uh, calling up the police and whoever saying that you're drugging your children. So I'm not drugging my children. Why, do you, why on earth do you think I'm drugging my children? 
Well, Mr. McLaughlin, your oldest son laid down for a nap. Uh, and then a couple minutes later, he popped up and said he can't go to sleep. He needs some Z-Quil before he can go to sleep. So, yes, ads do work. Unfortunately, they work in children really good. Uh, so I've had now to defend myself uh, twice because my oldest son also said it to my mother-in-law when he was spending the night. So my mother-in-law confronted my wife asking me if we drugged our children. I've asked him repetitively, stop telling people you need Z-Quail. You've never done it before. Stop. And he was, I don't know. The ads have brainwashed him into believing he needs Z-Quill. <clears throat> Personally, if it was me, none of my kids, none of my kids would ever watch TV. Period. Uh, c commercial television at all. Because man, do those commercials work. Uh, again, guys, thank you for the show. Thank you for keeping the shows coming. Um, good work as always, and I cannot wait to download your next episode. Take it easy, guys. <laughs> so kids say the darndest thing apparently oh yes yeah and unfortunately kids don't have a lot of disposable income so um they might work <laughs> but don't know that they generate income necessarily well you know it, it's marketers do market to kids having kids i know right. this um and and they don't you know uh they with with adults, you have to be at least a little bit subtle. With kids, they don't. It's like, hey, kids, ask your parents to go buy this for you. They, they will literally say things like that. But yeah, so apparently the the, the little door got it through his head that he needed Zequel to sleep. Of course, I just have to comment though. on. I have to comment on that. The the idea that people being so sensitive that they can't think that a six year old might be just making a joke. Um, mm -hmm. but anyway people are stupid that's all i gotta Pretty say much. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you for that bit of uh um linux heavy <laughs> content there door it's it's the running gag that this linux show doesn't have any linux in it uh so anyway uh moving on dalton uh is talking a little bit about linux he has a couple of things number one he says i like linux academy but when i talk to people about future tech and linux jobs they tell me they feel the jobs are all going overseas or will be giving to someone with a work visa what do you guys think uh well let's just stop and address that um if your job can be outsourced uh you need more skills plain and simple because uh, they're outsourcing, they're sending jobs overseas to non-skilled, uh, you know, call center type people. Uh, if you're an American-based company or dealing with American consumers uh, and you need to provide support to Americans, uh, it just doesn't work to do anything but the lowest level stuff overseas. So get better skills and outsourcing will not be a problem. I, I never worry about my job being sent to, um, you know, India because I have to be here to do my job. And, uh, you know, just, I think that's it. I think maybe you're just talking about the wrong jobs. What do you guys think? Well, I know like my job, there's no, I, it, my job couldn't be outsourced because I'm a, I'm the people facing side of tech for my company. So they would never be able to outsource me particular, my, my job set, but there's plenty of other pieces that they have either broken off or sent to the, as the help desk takes over those roles, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things where the lowest end of the 
the lowest end of the tech jobs are being outsourced that as long as they can be. Um, anything that can be fixed over the phone that doesn't need a physical finger or whatever, those are all going to be outsourced. So you need to get your skills up high enough so you're not in that lowest tier tech work. Yeah, and... You know, unfortunately, the low-end jobs that you would use to break into the field, those are the ones being outsourced. And so it does make it kind of harder sometimes to find an entry point. But, um, yeah, but there will always be all level of jobs available in America. But a lot of the lower-tiered stuff has been outsourced, and it probably won't be coming back. So there is some truth in that, but I think you're talking to people who are either uninformed or concentrating on the lower end entry level type stuff. And the second point to his email, he says, I find that it is almost impossible to find out how to volunteer to get Linux experience, that everyone wants you to have experience. So it's one of the, the recurring themes on this show when people say, how do we how do we get experience? Because you got to have experience to, to get a job. And we say volunteer uh, for, you know, some open source project. Um, and, you know, he, he says he finds it impossible. I, I'm, I'm not sure... I don't understand that, uh, how you could say it's impossible because every project I ever go to, there's a how we can help page. Uh, and it may be, you know, it, it may be something as simple as helping them, uh, you know, uh, correct the spelling on their documentation, or they may just need somebody to run buggy stuff and, and report the bugs. Uh, it's to, to say it's impossible, uh, makes me wonder what you're doing to, to what you're looking for. I mean, if you're looking for somebody to, uh, to say, I will, you know, sit you down and teach you Linux command line stuff. If you volunteer, uh, yeah, that may be impossible to find, but, um, to just jump in and get started, find a community, find a project that you like, that you're passionate about and, and invest in it. And it may take time. You may have to move from, you know, the very basic stuff and then find, make friends and find some people that will, uh, teach you stuff. You're, you're essentially asking somebody to teach you skills uh, for free, you've got to give them some value for that. And you've got to prove yourself in almost every community. You start out as, as, as an unproven, you know, they, they assume you're the unwashed masses. you got to stick around a while. That, that's been my experience. What about you guys? Yeah, it seems to be the same thing. I know when I, back when I first started doing the work, um, the Fedora Ambassador work, uh, it was a pretty easy thing to get into, but they expected you to self-start and self-find things to do. Um, ever since then, now the, the Fedora team actually has a little bit more of criteria that you have to finish and be mentored in order to become one. To, so th there, there's also ways that you can be uh, volunteering for any of these open source projects as just, a, uh, I hate to say the word, but a zealot almost, and try to help sell the product um, that helps. And then also spend time in their, their IRC rooms. Every open source project has one. That's going to be the only way that you're going to actually get your face or your handle or your name known to get into those projects. And you absolutely can't start out by making demands. You just can't. Nope. No, that, yeah. that'll instantly sink Pick, you. Yeah. Spend a little bit of time looking around pick one or two communities, join the forums, and just kind of scroll through the boards, find questions you can answer or ones that you look like you might could answer with resource, and then jump in and answer them. And as you get, you know, because there are, 
all the big companies have people that monitor, you know, they have community directors. And if they see, hey, this person is, uh, you know, he's active in the forums, he's helping, he's building our brand, then, you know, when you go looking, a resume these days isn't just, I went to these schools and I've worked at this position and here were my responsibilities. You know, you can have an online presence section and, you know, active in the, you know, Fedora community for two years, whatever level, you know, and then you can get a reputation in there and then that can be your edge in the interview to get you a job. Again, I'm not saying join the forums and get a job tomorrow, but that's how you get experience. You know, experience doesn't have to be directly related. It can only be peripherally related. Um, and the, or, you know, find some community organization and say, Hey, I want to build your web server. Um, something like that. That's another way. So the opportunities are out there. Maybe just, um, Think a little bit bigger and, you know, picture a box and then picture step outside the box. Sorry, <laughs> I know it's kind of lame, but. All right. Well, Way to uh, use that corporate speech, though, Mark, there, Seth. I would be the. Yeah. You know, if I forgot something, we can circle back around to it later. Uh, I'm not going to go there. I would be the worst <laughs> podcast host in the world if I didn't take the listener's mention of the Linux Academy as the opportunity to talk about our friends over at the Linux Academy. Uh, and I'm going to jump straight to the like. Uh, like a good uh, uh, doctor, I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off fast. We've told you over time that these things are coming, uh, that their product was was you know uh, too good and their offerings are growing too much to stay as cheap as they are. So um, we've been telling you the price is going to go up. I got an email today saying, hey, guys, we're raising the price. So I'm going to jump that out. Uh, jump right out there and do that. Uh, they they're raising their monthly rate from uh, from the very reasonable twenty five dollars to a really confiscatory twenty nine dollars. Uh, so this is a very moderate price increase. Their monthly monthly rate is now twenty nine dollars and by a quarter. Uh, that is three months. It's sixty nine dollars uh, instead of the. Uh, you know, you get a, a break there. Uh, math, not good. Uh, it's about a $12 uh, discount right there. If you buy yearly, it's $229, which is uh, uh, right at $18 a month. We've been saying for a long time, it's just under. Well, now it's like $18 and, and six cents or something. Uh, so for that amount of money, what you get is amazing. We've talked about it before. The step-by-step video courses, the uh, the amazing lab infrastructure. We can run up to four different virtual machines and Amazon's lightning fast uh, system communicating with each other and communicating with the, with the real world. So you get both real world experience and a safe environment to blow things up. Uh, the, uh, the, the PDF study guides that go along with the videos, the amazing community. But I'm going to read uh, part of Anthony's email that he sent to me as he's explaining uh, our uh, his price uh, range uh, increase uh, to me. And uh, I think he says it best. It says, since we set our pricing at $25 a month, we've added over 1,100 videos, four full-time staff members, many Linux AWF self-paced labs, as well as increasing the lab servers from uh, one to six for our students. Um, we are also happy to be an official corporate sponsor of the OpenStack Foundation and approved OpenStack training wow. partner as part of, as of this past week. In the past few months, we've launched both the Linux Foundation certification, system admin and engineer, as well as our uh, our new course on Ansible. Uh, starting uh, October 25th, we'll have an official team manager uh, that teams c- uh, can call on the phone and ask for any reason uh, and, and talk to for any reason. We are launching a lot of features over the next month. We're happy to announce that 
that we launched our brand new Linux Academy members control panel this past week. It's really amazing and improves our students' learning experience greatly. We're happy to be pushing a brand new practice exam system this week, and will which will be truly unique from anything else out there. Our live show on October 15th is going to announce perhaps one of our most innovative features. We've spent the past six months developing a separate platform and integrating it into the Linux Academy. This is a dream coming true that we that we came up with over a year ago. Um, so that's his explanation for raising his prices. Uh, quick math. What is that? About 5%. Uh, so, you know, I told you it was coming. Yeah. It came. I'm going to be honest with you. You're never going to find better content for this price anywhere. You're just not. LinuxAcademy.com. But here's the good news. If you use our referral code, Everyday Linux, or go to elementopcom uh, uh, slash Linux Academy, your prices don't go up. That's the promise he made to me. So the, our, the cool. referral link, that the prices that you go for when you use our referral link, those prices aren't going up. So check it out. That's uh, nice. Linuxacademy.com. Uh, use the co- referral code EverydayLinux, and uh, you will get, you won't get your prices raised. So there you go. Now, in so order to- we, lock it in now. We've got a couple of other bits of listener feedback, and we will we'll get to those. But in order to respect Jonathan's time, we're going to jump straight into our interview with him because we told him 35 minutes ago that we'd be about 30 minutes uh, for the interview. So sorry about that, Jonathan. Um, so let's just we're just going to go uh, straight. To, uh, it's okay. This is not going to be your typical uh, the view type interview. We're just going to have a conversation with you. So start by just introducing yourself. What do you do? What are you known for? Um, uh, my name is Jonathan Mitchell, and I'm uh, I make re- make audio stories, stories out of sound, and I'm um, I've been doing that for about twenty years, and I'm probably best known for producing a podcast called The Truth, which is um, fiction stories. Uh, we do it, it's basically like films, short films without pictures, and so I try to approach the medium as though it were you know, like a film in that, um, you know, I can, I, it's constructed at the editing stage and, um, we go and we record things in locations and, um, it, it kind of feel, it's put together a lot like a film. Um, also my background is in music. And so I, um, I try to bring my musical training into the stories as much as possible. So you, uh, what it, what is it? Your tagline: "Movies for your ears." Movies for your ears. That's what it says on our website. Yeah. So, how long have you been around as the not you personally, but the Truth Podcast? The podcast um, started. Uh, we started putting things on our RSS feed in, at the beginning of 2012. Um, I've been w- working towards making the podcast happen since around 2009. So, um, that's about how long, I mean, the, the first piece that, um, is, is on our podcast feed that I produced was made in 2008 and, uh, and, and aired in, aired in 2009. How many episodes, how many stories do you have roughly? Um, I don't know the exact number. I think it's probably around 60, 65 or 70, something and like they that. they typically range around a half hour? No, they're more like um, the stories generally are between or around twelve minutes. I would say is the average length. Okay, um, fifteen maybe. Um, we've had some that were like nine, but they're short. They're they're usually under twenty minutes. Um, 
occasionally they're more, but that's that's what we shoot for is around 15. And so Seth has listened to your entire back catalog at this point. Uh, what, are, what are your impressions of the show, Seth? You know, I've got to say, I... I have really liked the show. One of the cool things about it is it's not just one topic. Like there has been some science fiction, some kind of mystery, some that were kind of funny and then some horror. And then, you know, so there's been a wide range. It's, I don't know what I'm going to get. And I, I'll tell you, Jonathan, the ones that I haven't liked are the ones that you've kind of, I heard this on this other podcast and I wanted to play it here. Those are the ones that have been the least favorite, but um, I pretty much liked, I would say Mm -hmm. 90%. And uh, for me, that's a very high number of things I like, but it's really cool because it's, it's an eclectic nature. Um, I just, I really enjoyed them. Yeah. Thanks. I'm I'm glad you like it. Yeah. It's, it's um, challenging to, to have a show that changes, um, changes, the story and the characters and the setting every every episode an anthology series is is a um it's a tough thing to find a consistent uh, it's hard it's much harder to make consistent and um it's also much harder to maintain an audience that way because you know the identity of the show really boils down to like a production sensibility you know and um that's a little bit harder to talk about right <laughs> and so and so, um, but, but I, I also, I mean, if, if there's an identity to the show, I, if there's a unifying factor, I'd say now, um, anyway, it's, we, we tend more towards, um, speculative fiction, but, um, but we have, we've done a lot of stories that wouldn't classify as, or qualify as speculative fiction, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I mean, really what I wanted to do when I started it was just have a place to try a lot of ideas out um, that I, I, it's sort of, I feel like fiction in audio, uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot of people think of it as being, you know, one of the earliest forms of radio, but I think of it as being something that kind of fell away for a long time and there's still people doing it, but not very many and not enough to really have uh, what, what feels like a really healthy ecosystem. And so, I, I felt like there was a lot of potential in that, in doing fiction and audio, uh, in a really contemporary way, in a way that didn't treat it as something old fashioned or treat it like as a poor man's film, for example, or, um, as something that, you know, was, was just, you know, something that, uh, an amateur art form, but could be re- really relevant, um, and make stories that, um, appeal to a much bigger audience than would, would typically, uh, you know, embrace radio drama nowadays. And, um, and so that's been my goal is to find ways of approaching stories and audio that feel really modern. And, um, at first I just sort of wanted the opportunity. I wanted the, uh, yeah, the opportunity to try lots of different things. And, um, and now, you know, I, I mean, it's, it feels like, um, sometimes I feel like it would be easier if, if we had, a single setting every week, you know, <laughs> like it was always a zombie story or something or, or it's always the same characters. But, um, but I, I, if I can, if I can maintain having that, um, variety to it, I, that's really my preference because it's just, it's just nice to not have to always do the same thing. So what is consistent yeah. from show to show? Do you have the same cast of, of voice actors or is it just your touch that is mm-hmm. consistent? It, 
Um, it's mostly my touch. Although there are, I mean, writers I I always work with. So it's a, it's like a sort of a stable of writers or certain things just feel like a truth story. Um, and um, nowadays, like I said, I, we're trying to do more speculative fiction. So there's always like right now I would define it as um, there's one element in the story that couldn't happen in the real world. And, and we drop that element into our, the real world and have people react real as realistically as possible to that. So that's basically what, what it is, but not all of our stories, um, you know, like I said, uh, would qualify as being that. And, um, if it's not that, then it usually uses the medium in some unusual way. Like, um, um, you know, you do something very musical, very subjective. We do a lot of stories that are conveying a particular person's, uh, subjective experience. We have a group of about five or six writers. Um, we, we meet every week and, um, everyone's working on a story and we give feedback. And, um, I have an associate producer, Carrie Caston, who helps with all kinds of things. Um, and I, we have a head writer. Excuse me. Um, our head writer's name is Lewis Kornfeld. And, um, and so he just, I just brought him on as a head writer. So I have two employees and then we pay the writers per story. So, um, and then we, um, we pay the actors as well. Uh, and the, the actors, um, we'll, we'll have actors that come back and, and are sort of regular cast members, but they're not in every story. And it kind of depends on the story. And, and, um, we will, will I, I like, I mean, a lot of my favorite stories are stories that have, um, actors who we only worked with one story. So it's not like, it's not like that's an, that's an identity of the show. But, um, beyond that, I think it's, it's that I, I introduce it. <laughs> I produce it. I, I also write a lot of the music and do all the sound design and mix it. And so I think that gives it a certain tone and there's a sensibility. Like I'm, I'm editing the stories and kind of, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm driving the, the creative process. And so, and so it, that gives it all a kind of a sensibility that seems to unify it a little bit. And so where did you come up with the idea for movies for your ears? So when I was in college, um, in the, like around 1990 or 91, 92, um, I was, I took an electronic music class and I, um, was, I was a music major. I, I was majoring in music composition and I was going to the University of Illinois and I learned, um, I was really interested in electronic music and I spent a long, a lot of time, um, and, you know, making things in the recording studio. And I was really interested in music concrete, which is, um, making music, mu- music out of natural sounds, like manipulating natural sounds, like reversing them or slowing them down, processing them. And, um, and so I was really particularly interested in speech and, um, and, and manipulating speech in fun ways and making music out of that. And as soon as you start to think about or work with speech, that brings like ling- linguistic elements into the music. And, um, and so, uh, I, I got very interested in storytelling. I've always barely been interested in storytelling actually my whole life. When I was a kid, I, I, um, liked putting on puppet shows and that kind of stuff and was always interested in theater. 
and um and I really wanted to take a film class when I was in in college, but I went to U of I, like I said, and um, the, the, it's not really a film school, and so they had one film class, and everyone wanted to take it, and so I'd apply for it every semester, and I would never get in. And I said, well, I can't make a movie because in those days it was before you know you could do this on your computer. You really needed expensive equipment to do it. And um, I said, well, I I don't have access to that equipment, but I do have access to this recording studio. And so maybe I could just, you know, make a movie, but without pictures, like I could actually do that. And um, then the more I thought of it, um, the more I liked it. I mean, it it just sort of had an appeal that grew for me, the more I thought about it. Like, um, I I started to see that lack of visuals as, as a real strength and something that actually made it an interesting medium to explore, uh, especially in light of a lot of the music I was learning about and the, the sort of the uh, uh, recording studio techniques I was I was uh, uh, drawn to, and um, and so I wanted to experiment around with you know making a movie without pictures, and so that's what I made my thesis project when I got to grad school. So you uh, contacted some writers, and and how did how did it evolve? I mean, how did you get started? You had this idea. And then what? You go to your buddies, and and that's where it started. Well, I was in um, I was in school at the time. So when I was um, on, on, when I was in grad school, I made it my thesis project to do a a radio drama. This was in like ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, and um, so uh, um, uh, I I I paired up with a writer, and we worked on on the story together, and. Um, and I worked on it for a couple of years, and that's how that that happened. Um, you know, I, I because you're like when you're in school like that, it's a little bit easier to hook up with people because you know you're around people who are just looking for projects. You know, uh, actors right. the same way. So that was a long time ago. I mean, that was when I was just in school, and so um, I, I ended up working in radio for a long time, making documentaries and sh- and working on shows. And uh, doing little things here and there, trying to sneak in little radio drama types of projects, like little comedy bits or whatever. And um, eventually, you know, right before this actually, this show actually happened, uh, I, w- I had been taking improv classes at, at UCB in New York, which is Upright Citizens Brigade. And, um, and so I was going to a lot of shows and I, I was working on a radio show at the time that cool. hired a lot of comedic performers. And so I was sort of scouting for those. Um, and, but also, you know, having this other project that knowing that I wanted to do this sort of radio drama type show at some point, I knew that I, I thought this would be a good place to, um, sort of kind of feel out the, the, uh, the the get to, get to know the neighborhood a little bit you know and um and so yeah i mean that's basically how it how it happened um i um i we we write our all our own stories you know i write maybe a fifth of them quarter of them um and uh i work with you know you know it's it sort of evolved I and mean, we've been doing it a few years now so um, at first, it was more performers who also, also wrote. Now I'm generally looking for more for uh, people who have a background in science fiction or, or horror or who are just interested in 
um, who are really open to doing speculative fiction and are more writer types who, who think more in terms of plot and character and structure and, and that kind of stuff. So, so how, um, you said, yeah, I'm obviously it's, it's not scalable that way. You said at first it took, uh, um, a, a couple of years for the first one. How long does it take you, uh, to, from, from, you know, engaging a writer to pu- publishing the show now? Yeah. Um, about well okay so uh, the writing of it can take a while or it can go quickly but usually it takes around a month and a half to two months to write a story and um and that's like not all we're doing you know like one person is basically in charge of writing it and they bring it in week week to week and we try to make it better gradually and when it's ready then we'll um we'll cast it and record it usually it takes about I don't know. Um, usually we can get the whole thing, um, recorded over the course of a week with maybe two or three or four recording sessions. And then once I have everything recorded, um, it, and depending on the complexity of the story, it can take anywhere from a week, um, to three weeks to put together. But usually I, I don't really want to spend more than two weeks putting it together. So, um, I don't know. It, it's it, it. Some stories are really complex. Some stories are really simple, and we try to try to alternate those so that um, we can keep a steady schedule. So, how many shows do you typically have in the queue at any one time? I assume you're not working one show from beginning to end, or is that how you do it? Um, we try to have four or five. Okay. Um. Uh. I mean. Yeah, I mean it, it it it's that's basically it. 4 to 4 to 5. I mean um Yeah, I mean we 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 have maybe four or five writers and whenever somebody finishes a story then usually they'll start a new one. Okay. And and one other question that that I don't I, I'm sorry I'm monopolizing it guys, but I I'm not sure who's connected and who's not. Uh what it, why why the truth? Why that name? There's um there's a saying by Ralph Waldo Emerson that goes, um, fiction reveals truth that reality obscures. And, uh, and so, you know, f- truth is in fiction. Fiction just sort of is about a different kind of, di- different, um, el- aspect of truth than we might get from nonfiction. Is this your, your job or your hobby? Do you have a day job? No, this is my full time job. Okay. That's, that's a pretty cool gig. I mean, something you made up in college becomes your full time job. Uh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years, so yeah. I mean, I've been making my living at it for 20 years, so um yeah. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. I I I am really grateful for that. That's that's the best part. It took a lot of work, but but yeah. An yeah. overnight success 20 years in the making. And it always works that way. The, the the longer you work, the the more overnight it seems to everybody around you. So I'm going to ask you one final question. It's the question I always ask everybody uh, when they come on the show is if, if nobody heard anything else here that we've said all this, the, the other time that we've been together and, and they only hear the last, you know, the next 30 seconds, do you have a single message or a single thing that you'd like our, our audience to know from you? Uh, our podcast is at the truthpodcast.com and we make really fun audio stories that, um, are entertaining and um if you want to um hear what is possible 
Wow, shoot. <laughs> this is hard. Um, 30 seconds is a lot of pressure. Um, okay, 90 uh, seconds. A minute and 30 <laughs> seconds. What, take whatever you need. I, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I just would encourage everyone to listen to our show. It's fun, and it's great. And um, and the, we work really hard in the stories to, to make them sound like they were really easy to make. And um, our goal is to make stories that you're really happy that you listen to when you finish them. And, um, and so, yeah, check it out and see if you like it. It's the truth, the truth podcast.com. Well, based on my experience and Seth's experience, uh, we're pretty sure that you will like it. If you, if you like fiction, if you like audio, um, you got audio fiction right there. It's good stuff. Uh, Jonathan, we really appreciate you, you know, taking time out on a Sunday evening to hang out with us. We appreciate you being with us and, uh, we'll say good night now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys uh, inviting me onto your show. It was really nice to talk to you and meet you guys. Give it a listen because there is something there for everyone. You know, you probably won't like everything, but you'll probably like most things. Uh, there was some awesome science fiction that I was like, oh, that was really cool. And then there were some other shows that just go, you know, I mean, they were all high quality production. Just some of them weren't my cup of tea. And, uh, but, there'll be something there for you. Seth, how long did it take you to plow through the entire back catalog? Um, I did it over two weeks. So that was a couple of day, you know, or, or actually several a day. And some of them were rebroadcast and some of them were compilations of ones I, he, I had heard earlier. So, uh, cool. All right. So I'm going to move on to the next thing that we're going to go back to the listener feedback that we skipped over. Um, and waiting for Google to load the thing. All right. So we've been talking, uh, for a while about, you know, the, the changing the name of the show. It's something that we've discussed uh, a number of times. Um, and we've got a couple of, actually, I've gotten a lot of feedback about that, suggestions for the name change. But uh, several of the things have fallen into two basic categories. And I picked two uh, from our listeners that, that kind of represent those two categories well. So I'm going to start with Father Finch, uh, who says, Hello, gentlemen. While listening to the last show, you asked us to use EDL to describe what we had just listened to. As it happens, I usually listen to your show while walking the dogs early in the morning. With your booming voices and passion for your topics you discuss, I would like to submit to you everything discussed loudly. With that being said, I came to your show because of my interest in listening to shows that are Linux-focused. I stayed because you guys consistently publish a highly enjoyable show. I'm not sure that I would ever have found you had it not been for the Linux in the title. Keep up the great work. So uh, Father Finch's here uh, comment represents a lot of people who said... Um, we need to uh, that that they came to us because we were at least in in title a Linux show, and their concern was that if we um, you know lost Linux in the title, we might lose listeners like them. Now, everybody who said that um, actually uh, one said that they might just not stick around. They've been dis disillusioned for a while uh, because we haven't been doing any Linux. But most of them said that you know we could. Uh, we would, they would stick with us if we uh, uh, change the name of the show. But they were concerned that we wouldn't get any new listeners uh, because they came to us with Linux in the title. Now, my thoughts on that 
are that yes, we have Linux in the title, and yes, people come to the to the show because of that. But we're not giving them what we promise, what the title promises them. Uh, we still we still talk about Linux, but it's not it's it's really is not that much. That's um, it's there, and 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 I've gotten feedback about that. Hey, you guys used to be a Linux show, uh, and now you're not, and I'm disappointed. I get that, I understand that, but we grow, people grow, shows grow. Um, so before I let uh, Chris and, and uh, Seth comment on this, I'm going to go ahead and read the next one because it dovetails right into that. Uh, Richard says, Dear Mark, Chris, and Seth, uh, greetings from a rather damped, uh, damp county of Kent in the UK. I've been thinking about your desire to change the name of your show, and I think I have a, may have a new name uh, for the show, uh, and that is Eclectic Digital Living. Uh, I've been listening to the show from about uh, episode 70. I've listened to all the previous episodes, and I've seen both the shows and yourselves grow and develop. My reasoning behind it is that you now cover a broad range of subjects that impact our lives in the digital age. Uh, the show has grown and has changed as you, the presenters, have grown and changed. To me, this is at least as good, a, good as it... That to me, at least, this is good as it has kept the show fresh while others have grown stale and fallen by the wayside. Keep up the good work, and I hope the show continues to grow and develop. Kind regards, Richard. So, Richard shares uh, my thoughts there. That the show has uh, evolved; it's grown. It's it's now now no longer a Linux show, and it's not. I I don't think it's appropriate to have Linux in the title. Yes, you may not have come to listen to us without. Uh, without the with the title, if it didn't have the word Linux in it, but where where are you now? Would you would you listen to the show as it is today? If you came to us today, this show about the the truth with a with a guy who who makes uh, audio movies with no pictures, and you had tuned into a Linux that thought what you thought was a Linux podcast, would you be happy about that? Seth, what are your thoughts? Well, you know. He- here is the thing. I'm not going to say the podcast isn't going to change. It's going to continue what it is now, but that's not true because we've, our show, you know, there hasn't been a, you were Linux this week and you weren't Linux this week. We have evolved. It's not like if we keep Linux in the name, we're going to go back and just be a Linux show because there's only so many things you can do being just a Linux show that you don't start repeating the same topics over and over. And, you know, and that gets stale and that gets tired. So we're not saying we're going to change the name and the format of the show. We're going to change the name to bring it to what we are doing. And I mean, the, you know, when you listen to us two years from now, the show's probably going to be a little bit different. You'll go, Oh, I know those guys, but it won't be the exact same, but it won't be totally different. We have grown and we just, we want to be more truthful because, you know, let's face it. The year of the Linux desktop is never going to be here in America. And there's so many people who, you know, if you're a Linux person, you're kind of like a mechanic who drives a car. There's so many people who aren't going to be a mechanic who drives a car. They're not going to be a programmer who uses their computer. They're just a computer user. And so we've alienated a large portion. And so we're not, we're not change, we're changing the name to align with what we are. We're not changing the name and the show. And even if people understand that, em- 
intellectually, it's almost like these reactions come from an emotional, don't change the show anymore, you know, use the Linux in the name to kind of at least keep you coming back once in a while. We're still going to do Linux distro reviews. We're still going to, I'm still going to look for stories that deal with Linux, you know, and stuff like that. So we're, we're not, you know, because that's who we are, we just want to be true to who we are. And so maybe that's a roundabout way to saying, I feel your pain. Um, sorry. Well, and, and it actually goes a little farther than that in that the, by changing the show and by, as you said, becoming more honest, uh, we, um, we are freed up to do more interesting things to have, you know, uh, this, this guest on, uh, tonight, we, uh, it actually turns guests off as well. When, when you invite them to the Everyday Linux podcast, I mean, Jonathan said a couple of times before he came on, I don't know anything technical. I'm not, I'm not a technical guy. We, we don't, we didn't need him that. We didn't want him to be a technical expert. We wanted to be an, an expert on Jonathan Mitchell. And he's the world's foremost expert on Jonathan Mitchell. Right. Um, right. So I think, I think that if you like us and if you like what the show is, you're going to like it no matter what the name is. Um, and my goal is to bring other people in who like what the show currently is. Um, but it's not a Linux show. It's a, it's not even a tech show. It really isn't. And that's what's made this whole thing so difficult. Um, was, is how do you describe something that is, that is, you know, 80% Mark pontificating and 20%, uh, Chris and Seth, you know, bringing news and interesting topics. I'm not, if you, I edit the shows, right? So I go back and I, I see the in audacity. I've got the whole wave forward things. Um, uh, and, and one of the things I do is noise removal and I will select a 30 second clip of, of silence on each track and use that as my base noise profile. So, uh, I tell audacity, uh, this 30 seconds is, should be silence. Anything there I'm considering noise. So I clip that out and I, and I program it and, and I do it with everything because, you know, room changes, everything's changed. It is often very difficult for me to find 30 consecutive seconds where I'm not talking. <laughs> that, I don't know if that's an indictment or a compliment, but it's the reality. Uh, so much of this show is just me bloviating. Um, and and it's, it's hard to name that. It's hard to name Mark runs off at the mouth for an hour and a half. But that's really what it is. And that's what you tune into. Tune into. It's such a, a radio term. That's what you download. That's why you come here every week. Uh, I don't know why you do that. I'm grateful that you do. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for your poor taste. Uh, but it's, um, you know, it's the, that's what it is. And so it's really difficult to, um, to encapsulate that in a couple of words. I, I did have, I've had several people from uh, Europe tell me that EDL is the, the uh, English Defense League. Uh, there was another one, the Environmental Defense League. Uh, both use that, that. That unsavory people use those. And that maybe we should not look at EDL because we might be turning people away. Um, whatever we do, we're going to turn people away. Let's be honest. I turn people away. My brashness, my uh, uh, bravado, my way of, de- of, of delivering things turns people away. If I were worried about turning people away, I could never have done you know four years of this show. So I just got to get over right. that. But I want to be honest. As Seth, Seth used that word several times, honesty. We want to be honest from the very beginning, not only from the opening credits where I say the Linux show, not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux, but from even before that, from where you're browsing the catalog and you go to the, the right section 
right? Right now we're in the uh, the technical how-to thing. That's not what this show is. That's what it was in 2010. That's not what it is now. Uh, yep. So there's that. No, now we're much more than that. Yeah, and I hope we're more than that. And I hope you tell you will tell me, audience, if we're not more than that. If we somehow become you know less than the sum of our parts then I need you to tell me that. And uh, But the you know the download numbers have been staying the same. People, the audience I see, seems to be about the same. Um, we get feedback from the same 10 or 20 people. Uh, so, you know, I guess you're okay with what we do here, but I want to be more honest about it. Yep. Any other thoughts before we leave this topic? So I personally enjoy the fact that we're getting feedback on this and the fact that, you know we're trying to be as middle of the road for our thoughts and as in as as best we can do for what we feel is best for the show and the community that we're trying to steward keep it up you know cuz otherwise we're just going to go off on a tangent somewhere and end up in the field in montana and we're going to go well, why the heck do we come here <laughs> yeah why why got to be montana so, well it's out in the middle of nowhere isn't it montana <laughs> come on now it is southern canada but it, we'll have to wait till in June or July, because you guys, with all the water in your veins, will freeze to death. <laughs> your blood, your blood thickens. I've heard New Englanders say that your blood thickens after a season up north. Uh, so, Seth, what are your thoughts on the on the subject? You know, I I was bitten by the podcast bug. I so this is one of the highlights of my week is prepping for this show even though maybe sometimes it doesn't seem like i do any prep but prepping the show and doing the show and i i would love i i love this show and so i want more people to listen to the show because i love it um but most people aren't going to listen to a show about linux and you know un, uh, the people who like us are going to continue to like us and the people that didn't like us before we might pick up some of those and anybody who leaves because I don't, I can't understand somebody who has listened for more than one or two episodes would leave because we changed the name. Um, because you know, it, it helpful. I don't think it would take you long to realize, Hey, wait a minute. There's some Linux there, but it's not about Linux. And uh, I don't think you can have a captivating podcast about Linux unless you're passionate about Linux. So. And, and, and it's not that we're, well, we're not passionate. We're users. We're everyday users, yeah. right? And, and right. one of the things I get all the time is, is people say there's, there is a, there's a shortage of shows uh for you know the regular guys about linux and that's i saw that you know when i started doing this that there was the, that hole in the market that there just weren't a lot of shows uh for the beginner for the everyday uh user and so that's where the everyday linux got its start but you know now i know why there aren't a lot of shows you can't keep doing that um because beginners don't stay beginners and so if you right. keep doing a show for beginners, you, you can't grow your audience. And you can always get a new audience of newbies. So shows that, that have been around for a while, even if they started, you know, you know, door show, uh, Linux for the rest of us, uh, has evolved into a more technical show over time. That's just the way it happens. Um, because you can't continue, uh, being, you know, serving baby food. 
forever. Yeah, you get a, a constant inflow of new listeners that way, but you don't hang on to your old listeners. Uh, but more than that, it becomes boring for the hosts. And so the, the Linux shows that are out there that are really doing their thing and doing it well are super geeky guys who read every word of the kernel update when it comes out and, and get excited about it. God bless those guys. I'm not one of them. Um, and you're probably not if you're listening to this show. Yep. Exactly. All right. Worst lead-in ever, uh, but now I need to talk about DigitalOcean. So if you want to uh, host a uh, have a web presence online that is more that goes beyond just basic uh, shared hosting like you can get at you know any other place on the web, if you need your own server, uh, virtual hosting is the way to go. It's the it's the the middle ground between uh, paying somebody some rack space uh, to uh, to drop in uh, an actual piece of hardware for you and having you know uh, sharing a piece of somebody else's server uh, with with virtual hosting you get your own virtual machine uh, and and DigitalOcean runs their things on on KVM which is probably the most uh, high performance hypervisor uh, out there uh, you get near bare metal performance and they run on on high quality machines hex core machines with ECC RAM. Every drive they've got is SSD, so it's lightning fast. Uh, gigabit connection all across. In fact, you can spin up a brand new droplet, one of their, what they call their instances of virtual machines, in less than a minute. 55 seconds is what they say is their their uh, average. And in my experience, when uh, spinning them up and tearing them down, some of them were even less than that. But the really densely populated ones where you're, where you're grabbing an image that has everything on it, uh, a full uh, you know uh, Drupal install, the whole bit, will take you know the full 55 seconds but you you can be up and running in in a minute literally in a minute you can have a server uh that you own it's not uh, a piece of somebody else's server that they rent you a corner of it's your own virtual machine that's pretty powerful their performance is is through the roof they're they're their industry, they're, they're leading the industry. I'm not even going to say they're industry standard. They're among the best at what they do. Ask around. Don't just take my word for it. Ask around. They're among the best. I experimented with them. I played with them. I tried to break their service. I couldn't do it. Uh, everything is just really fast. And the price, it's just, um, it's cheap. I, you know, that's all there is to it. It's a low price. You can get started as low as $5 a month if you want just a basic uh, machine up there where you're going to host like a WordPress blog, but you want to own that. Um, $5 a month will get you started there. Uh, more in the 10 or $20 range is where the average people are going to go, or you can go all the way up to the pro package and, and pay them $80 a month. It really depends. You set what you want, and you can upgrade anything. You can start with a cheap one and then a press of a button, upgrade it. Um, easy. Um, and, and they, they believe in their product so much that they're going to give you a $10 credit. So if you take the $10 a month thing and you have it up for the full month, you turn it on and you don't turn it off, you get a free month. If you're just playing with it, that's, that's 10, that's, uh, that $10 credit is a month of uptime, not just, uh, a month on the calendar. So I've had my, um, $10, a month account going now for a couple of months and haven't used $10 yet because I turn it on, I play with it, and I turn it back off. It's not in production yet. So if you need a development server out there, that's a great way to do it. In fact, they only, they have their own API out there. If you're not a server guy, uh, but you need to have your own server, uh, back end, uh, they have an API where you can interface with it directly from your stuff. Um, you, you, you know, you, the basic line is a, a terabyte of transfer a month, uh, or you go you go all the way up to to five or six terabytes of transfer a month. So that's that's a lot. Um, 
So everything you need from, from beginning to end. But if you sign up uh, and use the code Everyday Linux, you get a $10 credit right off the bat. So it, there is literally no cost to you to get started. No, no risk, no uh, possibility that you can get burned on this thing because they're putting their money where their mouth is where my mouth is uh, because I'm I'm the one talking to you about it and they're willing to <laughs> to back my my uh talk up with their money. Ten dollars you, you can't lose. So uh go to Linuxacademy.com slash everyday Linux or go sign up at DigitalOcean and use the referral code everyday Linux and uh, get your ten dollar credit and uh try them out. Don't trust me. Uh, uh put them to the test and then tell me what you think. Every uh DigitalOcean uh elementopcom slash digital ocean. All right, so now let's do a little bit of news. We're already uh, into the hour and a half range, uh, so let's uh, we'll, we'll just pick a couple of these. Seth, I'm going to let you start. What's your favorite news topic of the night? Um, I don't know that this is my favorite. Oh, here's one. Um, is somebody trying to idiot-proof the web? Um, is a story I ran across on Computer World. And it seems like there is somebody out there who is exploiting, you know, the, the old kind of Netgear type routers, the old, um, routers that are out there, home wireless things that are hooked up to the internet and have, uh, exploits and people have never updated them. Well, it turns out that there is a virus running around kind of like a Trojan that gets on there. And the only thing it does is it updates itself. And it attempts to block other malware from getting on there. Uh, people who have found it and have searched it, they haven't found anything malicious. Um, they simply see, oh, this updates itself to go against whatever some of the most recent exploits have been. So they don't know who does it, um, but they have found it as far back as 2013. So I just thought, you know, it's like um, a viral vigilante is what they termed it. I, you know, I mean, there's good and bad about this, but I just thought, you know, this was kind of an interesting story. Um, Curious Yellow is, uh, if you want to read an interesting white paper about worms and a possible future of the internet, Google Curious Yellow and, uh, or Curious Blue, one of the two. I don't remember which colors talked about both of them. Uh, it was an interesting article <laughs> about worms, uh, uh, and infections and a possible future of the web. So it's a white paper that's really cool, cool, and you should read it. But anyway, this was just an interesting story, so I wanted to talk about it and say all hope is not lost if somebody plugged in a router to the internet and never updated it over the last five years. Thoughts? Yeah. So I, I've 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 talked many times about the my is, my hatred. Cool. Uh, well, not hatred. My disdain for vigilanteism, uh, but. This is what they're doing is illegal. They are illegally accessing your router without your permission and then patching it for you. That's that's cool. I mean, yeah, it's it's illegal, but it's darn and and I I'm I'm going to give this guy a pass. And how I I I want him to keep doing it. Yeah, you know, it's one I think of the kind of cool that that someone would actually go out and write the the code to fix these things. Yeah, if you um, go back in time, and we're talking a long, long time ago, there's the concept of the night watchman. Not necessarily a police officer, but he would go through businesses at nighttime and basically check and make sure the doors were locked. 
So that's, this is kind of the, um, the digital world's equivalent of a night watchman. It's not like, it's like, Hey, he's running these scripts out here saying, does this find anything? Yes, it does. Okay. Well, here, I don't want anybody bad coming in. And, you know, and it's, it, whether it's legal or illegal, it's kind of, you know, I'm not commenting on that, but it is a good service because everything he patches is one less thing that can be exploited, uh, to send out spam and launch DDoS attacks against people. So, it's a net win for the internet that there's one less machine out there capable of being exploited. Now you should, you still need to change, you know, admin for the username and blank for the password is not a secure password ever. So change that. Um, if you, if you make sure you have the latest firmware, flash it with DDWRT or something else while it's still legal to do so, um, <laughs> you know, Make a complex, non-simple password um, that isn't password with the at symbol instead of the A. Ooh, nobody will guess that. So, but for people who haven't done that and don't know to do that, you know, this is, again, I don't necessarily, because maybe he's just lulling everybody to sleep and tomorrow he's going to launch this massive DDoS attack right. and take down right. whatever. My, my, the but, possibility you know, there is that he's he's owning that one. This one's mine. Nobody else can take it over. Right. Or yeah. somebody could take it over from him who has nefarious designs. So, but it's, just, it's interesting and it's a cool story. I, I don't, anyway... I'm not necessarily endorsing this guy. I'm just thinking it's a cool story and I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Well, you know, I like the term viral vigilante. That made the story worth talking about just right there. Right. Um, yeah. So let's talk about this uh, interesting. Uh, Seth really uh, did a clickbait on this one. Do Americans have rights anymore? <laughs> yeah. I thought, you know, come on. Um, this is a mayor from a town in California and he was coming back from a mayor's conference uh, in China and the Department of Homeland Security detained him, confiscated his personal cell phone and other electronics and would not let him go until he provided the password. Something that is currently illegal under law. Um, but they's like, you know, we're Homeland Security. You have no choice. You have to give us your password. And don't you love children? So, um, and probably it's, you know, probably a hate crime or, you know, they don't even have to charge you with anything. They can just detain you. Yeah. Um, and so he ended up giving that to them, but, um, I just thought, you know, this is the Homeland Security, you know, who protects us from the people whose job it is to protect us? Because it seems like this is just another one of those things. Hey, we're doing it. They didn't have a, it would be one thing if they had a warrant. They didn't have a warrant. They're just saying, Hey, give us your password so we can look and see what's on here. Um, you know, I, I don't know why, you know, they just detained him and tried to strong arm him and to make him volunteer something that is illegal for them to do. And, you know, there's unfortunately, I wish I could say this is the one time in the history of Homeland Security that something like this has happened, but the web is full of anecdotal evidence that this happens all the time. So even if most of Homeland Security is good, there's so many of them out there 
that they're getting a bad name. And unfortunately, we need someone to protect us from the people whose job it is to protect us. And that's a that's a sad state we have allowed the country to get to. Take it away, Mark. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> like you were you were saying it. Um, illegal is probably not the right word, but but judges have have refused to give permission for law enforcement to to forcibly take from you something you know. So they can take your fingerprints. They can force you to yes. touch the fingerprint reader on your phone. Um, they can force you to cough up a key to a lock. Yep. But the current, and it's 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 hard to even say law. The current judicial thinking is that you can't make somebody uh, give up something they know. That is still protected. It's under the the first the Fifth Amendment clause of self incrimination. If I give you my password and you find something on my device that is you know uh, illegal, I have incriminated myself. And the 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 Fifth Amendment says that. I shouldn't have to ever incriminate myself. But, you know, that's you're arguing a point of law with a guy who's standing there, you know, heavily armed and has all your stuff. You know, he took it from you and he's got your phone, he's got all your stuff and he says I'll, I'll let you go if you'll give me your passwords. Uh so it's it's a difficult time to be quoting the, you know, the specifics of US law. Uh, or not even law, but court, uh, you know, uh, cases to him. Uh, precedent, that's the word I was looking for. Because yeah, you can't call somebody. He took your cell phone. So, Seth, and you you're not under arrest. Right. Yeah. You know, he right. took your cell phone. You're not under arrest, so you don't get a phone call. You're just being detained. So you're stuck. Yeah, and then that's, yeah. We could talk a lot about law enforcement doing things that law enforcement shouldn't do, um, but in this case, it's really hard. Well, we never <laughs> yeah. end the show. I mean, cops are are doing their best job, right? And and they're, I, I know a lot of uh, law enforcement people, and and many times their thinking is, you know, I'm going to get the the perp off the street, and I'm going to let the courts worry about later if I did the right thing. Um, you, you can argue whether that's a good thinking or bad thinking, but it tends to be the, you know, the mindset of the guy who's in the moment trying to deal with things the best way he knows how in the moment. Um, and so I, I'm not, I'm not really willing to come down on the cops right now cause I don't know the whole story, but right. is nothing sacred. It, you know, Seth kind of gave it the right thing there. Do we, do we not have any rights? Um, it, this is, this is one of those things that as long as there's been a constitution, this right has been protected. And now it's not, apparently. Yeah. You know. Only time it, will tell to see how bad it becomes. And uh, I'm going to really trash Benjamin Franklin's quote here because I can't remember it exactly. But um, a society that is willing to give up uh, freedom for. Con security. Does it will uh, have neither yeah. freedom nor security. Yes, willing to give up freedom for security is is worthy of neither. Yeah. So that's uh, often attributed to Ben Franklin, but then again, so is almost everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, but anyway, I'm I mangled the quote, whoever yeah. it was. So, um, if you're a doom 
lover who likes 1990s games on a $1,000 watch, Apple's got you hooked up. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I thought this was a fun story. It's uh, not really anything, but some Facebook developers during a hackathon was able to port Doom to both the Apple Watch and the Apple TV. Um, on the Apple TV, it was actually playable with a remote, but as far as playing it on the watch, you know, it's one of those, it's not so much how well it plays, it's just the fact you can. You're not really a hardware platform <laughs> if Doom hasn't been ported to you yet. So, you know, welcome to the hardware world, Apple Watch. You officially belong now over my uh, stern objection. And of course, the next is going to be a distribution of Arch. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely. Um, <laughs> I don't even. It'll be jailbroke and who knows what will happen. I mean, Doom could play well on a 286. So it's not saying a whole lot. Well, 386, I guess. It was post 286. It's not saying a whole lot that you can play Doom on the Apple Watch, but it is saying something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like okay. I say, um, fun fun story, not earth shattering. Um, and then I want to do uh this one, the Patreon thing, because you know, it, it might uh um apply to a number of our listeners, myself included. Um I got an email last week from Patreon saying that there was several gigabytes of data uh, taken from their servers without their knowledge. And one of the things that they got were passwords. Uh, but they were also quick to point out that what they got were hashed passwords. So uh, it wasn't any, uh, they didn't get, uh, I'm trying to remember, I don't think there was credit card information in it. Uh, but if there was, there wasn't anything to link the two together. I, the After reading the email, assuming Patreon was being straight with me, I kind of felt, okay, I, I'm not, I don't feel terribly bad about this. Assuming they were doing good hashing and not just straight up MD5, uh, what the users, what the people who took got isn't going to be super useful to them. So Seth, what's your take on that? Well, um, they released an update saying that it appears the entire database was taken. So, um, it's one of those you definitely want to change your account. And maybe if you've, um, if you had, I don't, I'm not set up in Patreon. So I don't know if a credit card or something is on file, but if it is, you know, maybe you can be preemptive and cancel that card and have something reissued because, you know, yes, it's hashed, but here's the deal. They know how the hash was done so you can apply enough computing power and you know there's people out there who did password and who did one two three four five six and people who did patreon with a capital p so there's people who took the easy way out for passwords you need to go change your password now and any hard info like credit cards or bank account numbers or anything like that you know, you at least want to start monitoring, if not changing, if you can. So again, that this is, I'm not saying, Hey, it's only a matter of time, but it's one of those we know about this breach. Take some steps to protect yourself before they're able to figure out what they got. Um, maybe they didn't get anything. I don't know, but 
It, this is one of, you know, but we've had this conversation on here. Should you ever change your password? Well, reasons like this is reasons you should change your password because, you know, you, we know this database was taken. Are there other databases out there that got taken that we don't know about? So, you know, have a good password, randomized, complex, unique that you don't use on other sites, uh, change it. And like I say, if you, if you have credit cards, Think about, is it worth it to you to cancel that card or just have them change the number? Yeah, so you uh, that uh, that's a good point. The, assuming a hashed password got out, um, the thing that you're most likely to worry about is if you had a weak hashed password. Um, so yeah, if you, if you were... The problem, though, right. is if you were the type of person to use password123 on your Patreon account, you're not listening to this show, and you're not going to follow the right. advice to go change your passwords. All right. I think yeah, that's, that's – gonna, we're going to wrap up that discussion, and we'll come back and do the, the rest of the, the, the show, not news. We'll do this, this news later is what I'm trying to say. Um, maybe at some point sometime down the line maybe uh did i leave enough outs in that just making sure so seth tell us what happened this you, week you might have tech history all right october the first <laughs> october the first 1982 sony launches its first consumer compact disc player the model cdp-101 uh, that happened this week in history, 1982, 33 years ago. That's how long there's been personal CD players. And I remember that. I remember that well. Wow. It's, it's kind of kind of trippy to actually remember technology like that. Yep. And they were bad. They people today don't remember CDs that skipped because we fixed that problem with better spindles and and better buffering. But man, in in those days, that it wasn't called a Walkman; it was yep. a Discman, right? Uh, because you couldn't walk with it. Just the the jumping up and down uh, yep. that your body would do just in regular walking would make that sucker skip. Uh, as the first CD players in cars, if you went over a bump, would skip. Um, but we were so excited about the technology because it was way better than tapes. Yeah, it was. It, it's amazing what we think is good sometimes. Well, you know, this kind of goes back <laughs> to that um, science fiction. It's we've raised the bar. That was good, but yeah. compared to it, what we have is awesome, but we can, we call what we have now good. So we have to look back and go, that wasn't good. So, you know, <laughs> yay, raising bar. I think maybe I followed all of that. Oh, and, and Chris actually has a link this week. Chris, what is your link of the week? I do. The mother load of all cheeseburgers. This is a and we lost him. So while he's uh, coming back, Seth, what is your link this week? 
Okay. Well, my link was directly inspired by the truth podcast. They did. I'm I'm not going to spoil the particular episode, but they did an episode that related to the Voyager one spacecraft. And, um, as I was listening to the episode, I realized I knew more about the friendship one probe launched by earth as described by the starship Voyager in a uh, star Trek Voyager <laughs> than I did about the actual Voyager probe. So I found a website that has the contents of that golden record, uh, golden plated copper record that was attached to Voyager when it was launched out into the cosmos. And, you know, it's made made it into the interstellar void it's left the confines of the solar system and so if you go to goldenrecord.org goldenrecord.org um you can it's kind of cool you can kind of zoom in you know it shows a picture of basically the universe and you zoom in on this galaxy then you zoom in on the stars uh you know and then you zoom in to voyager and then you zoom into the record and then you can click different parts and you can listen to the audio tracks and it'll kind of explain some of the things in there and i just i just thought this was cool and it's sad that i know more about the fictionalized history of the world than i did the true history of the world so i went to use this reservoir of information uh, for something other than posting cat videos um goldenrecord.org so you can see and hear the contents of the record on the Voyager probe that was launched low these decades ago. Very cool. Now, I think Chris is back. What is your tip, your link this week, Chris? Oh, he's not back. He went away again. <laughs> oh, Okay, we the world may never know what Chris's link is, but while I try to... Rec uh, oh, yay! Back? You're back! So, Chris, quick, before hey. your internet connection dies again, what is your tip, your link this week? <laughs> My link is cheeseburger.com. Um, it has pretty much every cheeseburger I've ever seen, wanted to eat, or have ever thought about eating. Um, it, it lists out 30 of them with different types of cheeseburgers. Go check them out. Make your mouth water and go have a cheeseburger. Cheeseandburger.com. Yeah, cheeseandburger.com. Excuse me. So. It is awesome. Yeah, I mean, are these. And it's voiced over really well, too. Oh, it's like the history of cheeseburgers. Kind of, right? Kind of. But it's like a whole different level of cheeseburgers. Some of these I've never even heard of before. And when I was looking at them, I'm like, I want to make that one. Like the gypsy. Oh, that looks so good. And then you can click on it and it gives you the recipe on how to make Where it. Where do you buy these? these? These are, okay, so it's not, they're not uh, places you can buy them. These are your burgers that you have to make. Sponsored by Wisconsin yeah, Cheese. Exactly. I got it. I get it. Aren't those awesome? So now you can not only be part of the Royal Bacon Society, you can be part of the Cheeseburger Society. We live in the golden age of food. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. Now all we need is the epic mealtime guys to put these two together. Together, and we have the three great uh, food-based websites uh, of 2015. Um, this could be awesome. Oh, it could be. <laughs> 
All right, so this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. Go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That will send us a nicely formatted email that I will read. Uh, you can call us uh, on Google Voice, 559-IAM-OP. Uh, that's uh, a free call if you're in the uh, the North American continent. Um, uh, if it's not, you're paying the international fees or the Skype out or whatever. But leave us a voicemail and we'll do it. If you don't want to do that, if you can't afford that, um, you can just uh, call us at, uh, or you can just send me a, an audio file. You know, what, whatever you got, uh, it doesn't have to be a big deal, um, uh, and, and that'll count too. I've only had a couple of people do that. One of them sent me something like 15 minutes long. So, um, within reason, <laughs> send me your audio file, and we'll put it uh, on the show. Uh, so we, uh, as as I've said so many times before, we only do this show because of you. Uh, this this show is is about you, the listener. We love hearing from you. Uh, keep the 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 thoughts on the name change coming. Uh, if you have uh, guest uh, suggestions, whatever, let us know. Uh, we 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 let you run the show the show more or less. What you you know what you want to do, we do. Not really. What I want to do, we do. But I like to make you think. <laughs> what you want to do, we do. Is that too much honesty, Seth? Um, yeah. Chris, Seth, I thank you for being it the works. great host that you are um, and for come, joining me in the black hole of technology that my house has become. I'm, I i don't know what I'm going to have to do. I, I'm going to have to get a new ISP, I guess. Uh, again, but the, the problem is there's just not another. I don't, I don't know. I got nothing. So anyway, uh, uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, Chris, uh, thank you for being the great host that you are. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.